welcome to Real Estate For Real, the podcast where we keep it real about buying, selling, and financing your properties at the realest level, for real. I'm your co-host, the man with the questions, Keith B. Dixon. And now, your host, top producer in the San Francisco Bay Area, and real estate agent, Carrie Naslin. Monday. California, more specifically the Bay Area of California. And today I have a special guest here with me, Jason Pagal. Hey, hey, how are you? <laughs> and we are going to be talking property management, aka adult babysitting. <laughs> uh, so, with that, Jason, I know you, you started your career with property management. I did. How long ago was that? Geez, um, if I can go back, I was kind of raised in the property management industry. My my parents they had managed uh, forty two units. We were we were on site managers of a building that we were managing. So I was just the the son kind of in the mix, you, you know. Um, but I got into it on my own uh, at about in about two thousand and four. Okay, okay. So about fourteen years now. Right, at the tail end of uh, the good cycle, mm-hmm. the last mm-hmm. good cycle. Yeah. So um, I, I know that I myself own a lot of investment property, and uh, through that I have had my fair share of property management mm-hmm. um, situations and ordeals and, and also triumphs as well, but um, clearly not as many opportunities to add to that playbook as you have Mm -hmm. um so let's let's talk about it uh how many properties do you think you've managed in your career if you just had to like guess yeah so um doors i've I've, I've actually so so i worked for one of the largest management companies in the nation i worked for them for about three years Mm -hmm. uh amc is the company and i went from managing class b and a you know, 150 unit communities all the way up to 600 unit community in um, in Burlingame. Wow. Down to when I started doing it on my own, uh, we were managing third party pro- properties for owners, local owners, and I got up to about 310 units on myself, by, by myself. Wow. Would you say that it's easier or harder to manage the larger buildings versus like the duplex, triplex? four unit situation. I, I would say it's much easier to lar- to to manage the larger properties. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, the state of California, there's a rule about properties that are 16 units and more, mm-hmm. they need to have an on-site manager. Right. And in that case, property owners are always the ones who are paying those salaries or compensating them for their for for their duties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a property manager overseeing the property, I was able to use their services as well to help me out. Oh, got it. So you were kind of leveraging your duties through whoever this on-site person was. Absolutely. So rent collections went to, most of the rent collections went to the on-site managers. Most of the uh, maintenance requests went mm-hmm. to the on-site managers. They were always the first line of defense. Uh-huh. You good know, cop, those, bad cop Good style. cop, bad cop. Well, I, I like to play the bad cop. Sure. And that was for the sake of the on-site manager, too. Because well, he I didn't had want to live to there, right? Correct. Yeah. Didn't want them to be enemies with their neighbors. Sure. So I didn't mind playing a bad cop. Um, so it, it's it's definitely a lot easier, in my opinion, to manage the larger properties. 
Interesting. Interesting. Um, So are there, have there been, in your experience, let's talk about um, demographics. Let's just say the more challenging of areas, Mm -hmm. the more economically, you know, lower on the scale versus the, the higher, the higher dollar, you know, fancy fancy places which would you say kind of gave you more trouble managing (laughs) so i've i've managed d c class properties Mm -hmm. which uh for all the listeners out there d and c is probably the properties that aren't in the best shape Mm -hmm. probably aren't in the best neighborhoods you know don't have you know, landlords that are dumping a boatload of money into it to keep it up to par. Yep. And then I've managed the class A, B, and A properties. I'll tell you this, they both have their own problems. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> big money problems versus little to no money problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what gave me the most problems is, I, I want to say, really the landlords that didn't keep their properties up to par. Sure. Or, or, or didn't give me the resources to help keep the properties up to par. So the slumlords have been your worst clients. Big time. Not necessarily the actual tenants. No, 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 yeah. no. Because the tenants, you know, they're they're normal people just like you and I are. Just trying to live. You know, they're just trying to live. Uh, whatever, you know, they, they do for a living, they're just trying to live. Huh? But if you're supposed to manage this business, this entity, for an owner who's not supplying you with what you need to manage it properly, but yet still have those expectations. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty difficult thing to juggle. Mm. Absolutely. Wow. I, I, like, I don't care if you're, you know, dealing with, you know, properties in upscale neighborhoods or even low scale neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a big problem when you don't have that support. Do owners see tenants as just dollar signs or are they really concerned? It, it, because sometimes I've, I've gotten the impression that they just don't care you know, about how these people are living. So, you know, for example, something breaks, you know, it doesn't get fixed, you know, deferred maintenance and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's just being to the point where it's terrible. What's, what's been your experience with, with landlords? They care more about the property than they do about the people. I mean, that's, that's just it because on the flip side of things, this is an investment. This is a livelihood for a lot of land and property owners. Mm-hmm. So they care about, you know, how how well, you know, a tenant's keeping up the property. So if something does happen to break, you got two types of owners. You got one owner that's like, hey, fix it because I care about my property. You got another one that's like, hey, don't fix it because they're just going to keep breaking it. Mm. Ah. And, you know, that's where it, it it really makes it difficult for me as a property manager, you know, to to juggle again with, with both tenants and landlords, because I'm the person, you know, I'm the face, right? I'm the face of the tenant and I'm also the face of the landlord. So that's my biggest issue, um, especially being a property manager. But I will say though, that there are a lot of good, good tenants out there. Um, you know, I, I primarily work Oakland, um, there are a lot of really, really good tenants out there. Uh, there, there are people that really care for what they have, even if it's not much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got some tenants that, you know, want to milk the system. Yeah. You know, you, you have some people that use the system to their advantage. 
as a property manager, and 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 I'm gonna speak to the to to the listeners who either want to get into property management, are in property management, or want to start buying their own property and maybe manage it themselves. What's key is really screening your tenants. Mm-hmm. That's key, um, and it's kind of hard for me too because, you know, since I work primarily cities like Oakland, you know, not. A majority of the folks that I've dealt with don't have the best of credit, so I can't necessarily judge them based on their credit. Mm. But what I can judge them on is based on compensating factors, such as how long were they at their last place of residence? How long have they been at their job? If there's a high turnover in either or, Mm -hmm. then that might not be good because it doesn't show stability. Okay, so for all the landlords, potential property managers out there... um, Anybody who wants to get into the business, screening tenants is really, really, really key. Carrie, what's now, Carrie? I know you're you're a landlord. Mm-hmm. What's your what's your take on that? Oh, I agree one hundred percent. I've I've made some emotional decisions um, to allow people to to live at my properties that have turned out to be terrible decisions to make because I didn't screen them. Um, and that was based off of money, too. Mm. They had lots of money. They had lots of money. What could go wrong, right? Wow. Everything could go mm-hmm. wrong. There's a reason why they have all that money, and it's usually because they're so happy. So, um, or, the, or they can go to Vegas <laughs> <laughs> right, and just blow it. Right. Wow. So was it, it was a bad decision? Uh, when you say emotional decision, do you mean emotional because maybe they had some compelling story that... Yeah, well, they needed a place desperately. They had the money. They had funds to be able to pay me for a year up front. You know, that type of situation. And so I didn't call references because I was like, well, you know, they have the money. Little did I know that there was actually some mental illness going Mm. on there. Yeah, and so they they actually ended up 5150 and... I had to call family members that were on the, the, you know, in case of emergency call list. And that's tough, though, Carrie, because you can't screen for that. You cannot. No, you, no, can't, you can't even ask questions. And you can't discriminate, of course, No, either. no, 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 not at all. So, yeah, the, I think that that's kind of rough. And then I would say, as a general rule, inheriting other people's tenants usually doesn't go so well. Um there's usually a reason why they're selling, and it's not because their tenants are perfect. Right. Uh, sometimes you luck out on it, but uh, every tenant I've inherited has been not very much fun, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. when you try and change the rules on them, you know, and yeah. try try That's and true. actually do things to to help the property and help their quality of life. People don't like change so much. Yeah, no, that's. Uh that is a real circumstance. I remember uh, the place that I live in now was actually a rental, and um, I had this family in, and they were always late, and that didn't bother me so much because I just understood their circumstances, but um, it just got really bad, and I could remember literally just saying, hey, just go ahead and move out, you know, mm-hmm. and I let it go. I never pursued them after that. I just said, you move out. I never pursued them for any damages or anything Mm -hmm. they moved out and about four months later they actually sent me a check for all the back rent oh that's pretty dope yeah which was pretty and she said you know what i really want to thank you you know i was battling cancer oh geez and you know i i was i was um 
I, I took a deep breath. I was just like, wow, you mm. know, I could have been pressing this lady out and, mm. and probably pressed her out for good, yeah. you know? Yeah. So um, that was my one bad experience about it. But I don't, I, people might say, you know, that's not good business. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think good business is as landlords, managers? What's good business? Consistency. Uh, yeah, a- absolutely. Consistency. Um, but ultimately, keeping the place up to par. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, stay away from deferred maintenance. If something's going bad, take care of it. Get on top of it. Regardless of yeah. who, regardless of who, you know, created the damage to the property. Just get on top of it. Not only that, when when you turn your properties over, meaning when someone vacates and, you know, you're getting it ready for the next tenant and you're, you're, you're painting it, replace the carpet. Don't wash it. Just replace that damn thing. <laughs> Paint it well. You know, if you got to change out the cabinets or even the knobs or the appliances or what have you, just paint it because the way the product is presented is the type of demographic that you're going to attract. Mm-hmm. If you go out there and put a put a dump on the rental market, you're 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 not going to get tenants who, you know. Stick around. Yeah, who, or stick around or who you don't really want to attract. You know, there was a, a really smart investor who um, who I worked with for a long time. You know him, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and his motto was to always keep his units slightly overdone for the area because, first of all, he's giving people a better quality of life than other people. Other people say, okay, well, in this area you know rents are only this much and so i'm only going to improve it to this level but he would he would call it home de- home depot chic <laughs> so he would he would get it just a little bit more magazine style mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. most rentals mm-hmm. and his tenants therefore turned out to be a lot more grateful a lot more happy mm-hmm. um and it was just a a whole different a whole different dynamic between landlord and tenant instead of you know the haves and the don't haves Mm -hmm. it was more of a you know hey tell me tell me what you need and i'll help you out type situation and i really enjoy his perspective on that like give give people a nice life Yeah. yeah it's it's true and from a landlord's perspective when you deck your units out you could actually justify high rents You know, you can't go out there and trying to get premium rents when, you know, your unit is dated or looks like crap or, it's, you know, you got a crappy painter that went in there and, you know, just put caulking over everything or, you know, (laughs) put semi gloss over everything and not just, you know, the kitchen and bathrooms and trims. Right. So it's I, I I feel them on that for sure. Let's let me put this question on the table about managing a property. Um, so you have property tax, the, the turnover, um, maintenance that you have to do, the um, background checks, which aren't that expensive, but I'm going to say it's expensive in terms of time mm-hmm. that you invest in, in doing it and screening tenants. Um, the rent, uh, hopefully there's some profit. Would you guys agree Like we're going to get in this to profit a little bit? That's the goal of it. That's the goal. That's the ultimate goal. Right. I mean, as a property manager and as a landlord. 
Right. People aren't aren't doing it as charity work, although there might be a little bit of that added into it, like a little side mm-hmm. deal. Maybe. But it it is an investment as opposed to putting their money into the stock market. They're putting it into homes. And then that takes us down the, you know, rent control and all of all of that, because if landlords can't afford to maintain their homes it's not a good investment for them and so then maybe there's going to be less people who do business at a high level Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. taking care of their their properties and then you're just leading to a an area or a space of more slumlords Mm -hmm. yeah maybe i wasn't that good at it (laughs) but um I just kind of see it, the, the profit that you make on a, on a unit, I, I just kind of see it being insignificant to the point where it's that little bit of profit after I turn over everything or they move out, um, the cost of the taxes, and I just see it being insignificant. You know, you're talking cash flow. Yeah. You're talking cash flow. So you're, you're looking at it from the short game. If you look at it in the long game, then you're adding in appreciation, which it depends on where you are in the country. Appreciation varies greatly. So does cash flow. But one really smart person that I heard talk to this was trying to explain why someone would go into San Francisco and spend $3 million on a property that was generating, you know, let's mm-hmm. say $5,000 a mm-hmm. month. Negative, yep. Negative, negative cash flow all day long. Why would any smart person <laughs> do that? Right. And the reason for that is a tax write-off. And they're writing that off because they need more tax write-offs. They're writing that off every month, but in the end, they're gaining appreciation. Mm-hmm. So 10 years later, they've made money on that tax write-off. So it's just a, a different way to kind of uh, tweak the mindset around it. So y- you could be making no money a month. You could be making a few pennies a month. You could be making some good money a month. It just depends on what your game is and what you're, you, what you're looking for in the end. Some people don't need a tax write-off, so then it, it makes less sense to take a loss like that. And they're probably going to want to go to an area that has a higher cash flow and a lower appreciation rate because that's what they're looking for is the the monthly assistance to their lifestyle. That's, that's right. a good qualifier. That's right. I like that. How true is that, Jason? Oh, it's very true. It's very true. And in, in fact, uh, she, you know, Carrie just spoke about, you know, folks looking for more cash flow. I know some people that are selling their property, liquidating their properties here in the Bay Area and moving it out of state. I'm talking Midwest, mm-hmm. the South. You know, um, I have a client right now who is selling 10 of her units just so. And when I say units, they're actually 10 single family homes. Um, She gained a lot of appreciation. Um, She bought those single family homes as rental properties throughout East Oakland. Each property she bought anywhere between 60,000 to 200 grand. Mm -hmm. And now they're all selling for at least $500,000 a piece. Mm Then she's using that money and she's buying properties. She's buying like, I think she's she's looking into trading into a 64 unit building mm-hmm. in Mississippi. Right. Talk you know, where she's flow. going to get cash flow out of that property. Yeah. But, you know, the rents aren't that high. Uh, but at the same time, she's not buying that 64 unit for that high either compared yeah. to the Bay Area. True. So there's, there's definitely uh, some truth to that. 
What's the uh, what's the reason? I know this is gonna this is a loaded question, Uh-oh. and um, there's a lot of answers to it. But we got to narrow it down for someone that's listening to this podcast that has no idea about um, what they what they want to do, but they need something. Why should you buy a property? Is there two reasons why you should buy a property if you have the ability to do it? Investment as, property as, as an investment or rental. Um. <clears throat> Kara, do you mind if I... Okay. Please do. So I'll give you two reasons. Uh, and this is actually what I tell a lot of my first-time home buyers who don't have investments. Here's the thing. Look at, look at the history of the world, right? Look at the history of the world and where real estate started and where it is today. Even throughout the Great Depression, throughout the Great Recession, property values have always bounced back. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the most safest investments that you could probably ever make. Number two, the number one, statistically, the number one way to build wealth in, real, in, in America is through real estate. Word. It's just that simple. And I, I actually love it because I'm helping, I'm also a realtor. Um, I'm helping a lot of first-time buyers today with FHA loans, meaning Federal Housing Administration uh, using very little three and a half percent down down payments, and let me kind of backtrack a little bit. What people don't know about that loan is that that applies to up to one to four unit buildings. Yes, you can buy a fourplex, live in one, rent the others, with three and a half percent down. Use those three other units to help compensate for your mortgage. To help you qualify for the property, and to help you qualify for it. Yeah, and so why not? You know, that's the key. Why not? Why not jump into it? You know, so people are afraid. People are afraid. They saw what happened in, you know, 2007. And they're afraid because they're seeing a lot of the same indicators that we saw back then. Um, And so people are afraid to put, you know, their life savings as big or little as that might be into something that they're afraid is could disappear but i think that that's just investment in general Mm -hmm. you know unless you're put unless it's mattress money it could all disappear and you know what the u.s dollar is so fragile right now that could disappear too so honestly i personally have a um a feeling that i would rather put my money into something tangible that i could touch and go and look at as opposed to you know, I I'm st- I still have money in mutuals or the stock market, but it feels safer to me to know that I can go look at at where my money's at, and I can do things to improve where my money is sitting. And if we do take a dive, I can ride that out too. You know, you've got to be you you've got to set yourself up and ask yourself all those questions before you dive in, and not be as risky when it comes to speculation and if you are then know that you can handle the consequences if you know if you make a bad a bad investment or a bad move you know that I see tons of flippers out there who spending some stupid money on properties that the margin is so small but because of competition that I cross my fingers for them sometimes and Fortunately, our market is uh, rising at a rate that they usually do win. But um, if right. 
if we do go through a shift, which might be happening soon, um, we'll be seeing less of that or we'll be seeing a, a few more losers. Well, let's go back to the to to the beginning of time. Yeah. What was the most important necessity? Shelter. Shelter. Yeah. yeah. That's never changed ever. And I don't think it's ever going to change. And so owning real estate is that shelter. You know, even if you, let's say you want to buy a property, but you don't necessarily want to live in it because it's not in the neighborhood you desire. Crap hits the fan with you and whatever it is with your personal life. You always got a place to go. Mm-hmm. And your, your, your rent will never increase if you own that investment property and you want to live in it. No one's ever going to be able to take it away from you except yourself. Right. So jump into it. If the opportunities are out there, and they are out there, jump into it. How do you guys, what, what advice would you give to someone who I'm going to say is coming into the workforce? Not necessarily college educated, um, because, you know, that's not the total demographic, but they're, they're coming into the market they're, they're working a job, a service level job, making service level income. What's their move going forward as it relates to real estate? Um, get educated. Mm-hmm. Like straight up, get educated. Um, get educated on the programs that are out there. Talk to, you know, real powerful and educated realtors and brokers like Carrie. Uh, because she has, <laughs> she has nice. you know, the tools you know, to to be able to lead you to where you want to be as far as owning real estate. A lot of people don't know. I mean, you know, if you got money, you probably know that you could buy real estate. But if, but if you don't have money, you got to talk to the right people because there are down payment assistance programs mm-hmm. out there. There are government programs out there giving first time buyers up to a certain income criteria money to purchase your own property. Right. And check this out. You don't even have to pay that back. Nope. I actually put someone into a property with no money down uh, who was on SSI, he was on disability, into a duplex where he actually cash flows every month at the end of the mm. month. That I just set that person up. Carrie, wow. what, what, what was it about that person who had low fixed income uh-huh. to take that leap of faith? that Keith was just talking about that fear. That's a that's a great that's a great question. I think that he had seen what I've done for myself mm. and my family. So this was someone who's a personal friend mm-hmm, actually mm-hmm. and they just believed in me mm. and believed that if anyone could make it happen for them mm. that it would be me and I personally took it on as like, "Oh yeah, we are going to make this happen." And it was Dope. awesome. It was a, such a good feeling at the end of the day knowing that I just made the impossible possible mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah that's so sick um i mean just quick quick story i uh, ran into a young lady who at the time was just graduating out of uc uh santa cruz banana slug where my wife went um <laughs> and um she had inherited a property she was out in la um she's out in la you know kind of doing her modeling thing her show business thing you know just a just an aspiring you know all that in L.A. She inherited a property, a single family home back in 2010 in the midst of my property management days. We sold that property. It was in Lincoln Heights up towards uh, the Mormon Temple here in Oakland. Yeah. 
Um, sold that property. Uh, we ended up buying her a eight-unit building. A year later after that, it was about 2011, 2012, we saw some growth in that property. We performed what was another one, uh, what was called a, a 1031 exchange. And what that means there is you can sell your property and defer all of your taxes from those net proceeds into, you know, whenever you cash out at the end of all this, right? And so she did another 1031 exchange from that building and then bought a 12-unit building in East Oakland. Mm -hmm. Two years after that, we sold that property and we found her an 18-unit building in Maxwell Park. And now she's like, okay, cool. You know, she's 35 years old sitting on an 18-unit building, you know, grossing about, you know, $48,000 a year, just, just passive income. Right. You, you know, and, and, and she was in L.A. Like, she, she knew, she, she's from Oakland, but she was living in L.A. I was managing her property for her. And, you know, it, it, it just, she believed in me just like your, your client believed in you. Yeah. You know, we showed, we, we painted the picture, and then we executed. And it really, really worked out for her. You know, think of yourself taking that leap of faith <clears throat> when you didn't have much money in the bank, but you bought those pair of Jordans. And you went broke with it, but imagine how happy you were. Um, now, this is a different scale. But, you know, what What I will say is when you buy real estate, you actually put your money into something that you own. And there's one thing that real estate is going to do to you. It's going to grow you up real quick. Uh. You are going to turn into an adult overnight when you own real estate. You are going to feel entitled because you own that piece of property. You are going to feel like you have a major responsibility because you own that piece of property. You're going to care for it. You're going to love it. You're going to keep it up. And you're going to make sure that it it, it eventually provides for you and your family. Now you got something to say that, look, this is what I'm going to give to my son, my daughter, mm-hmm. when, when, I, when I pass. That's deep. Love it. Wow. So, Carrie, you bought at 25. I mean, what were you thinking? At 25, I was partying and (laughs) waking up in strange places. (laughs) Believe me, Keith, so was I. (laughs) So was I. No, I I mean, at 25, I I didn't really actually. It wasn't wasn't my brainchild story or idea. Um, I was working at the tattoo shop, and my boss said to me one day so when are you gonna buy property mm. and i was like I, I don't know i'm trying to figure out what i'm gonna do on saturday night <laughs> <laughs> and wow. he said well you're making so much money right now that you should think about putting your money someplace that you're gonna see it later rather than blowing it every weekend i was like oh maybe but then I, I I said to him I was like but don't you have to have a lot of money to buy property I ha- you know I'm making good money but I'm not saving good money and he said no 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 I had no idea that you could go in with only three percent down so I started saving my money and I actually went in with ten percent down because I didn't I didn't actually talk to an agent until after I saved up my money wow wrong wrong thing to do because I could have been in a property a couple years before. I talked to an agent after I saved up what I thought I needed. 
I don't know where I got my information from. There was no Google then. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, so I saved up money. Then I called a real estate agent, found her on the back page of the East Bay Express. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> old school. The paper. Yeah. That is old school. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's when she hooked me up with her lender friend. And... Um, and at that point, I realized that I had saved up too much. But yeah, it it was all spurred by, you know, the whole rich dad, poor dad mm. mentality. Um, I consider the tattoo shop owner my rich dad. He made all the right bus- business decisions in life. And so he, you know, when he said, when are you going to buy a property? And yes, you can. I took that to heart and said, oh, I sh- should probably really think about this plus i'm just a serial entrepreneur i i think it runs through my blood i was selling pet rocks and you know my coloring book pictures to neighbors at the (laughs) age of five so um it's it's something that's always been in me to see potential and um when i realized that i could actually rent i mean own for as much as I was paying in rent and actually leverage that out because you know I changed that garage into a whole nother little <laughs> rental situation. Right. At that point, I was renting out all the bedrooms in the house and the garage for more than what my mortgage was and then taking all that money, putting it back into the house because I literally bought a crack house. Like mm. There were crack holes in the floors, but I saw the potential, you right. know? No, well, that's clever. Yeah. I love it. What about you, Jason? I know you have a a early buying situation. Yeah, so I'm gonna kind of go. You know, I'm gonna go a little bit before I purchased to two old high school buddies of mine. We played football together at Oakland High School. Uh, Shout out uh, Jocelyn Leverett, who's now the owner of Cali Canines, and his mother um, owns uh, Urban Skin Solutions in Oakland. Mm -hmm. And um, my other buddy, Steve Peterson, uh, who is the uh, founder of Infinity Investments, who primarily sells commercial real estate. Back in 2002, 2003, we were all Robert Kiyosaki. Like that's when Cashflow 101 first came out. Right. And so they had introduced me to the board game Cashflow 101 first. Mm -hmm. We were playing that. I remember we used to, you know, smoke weed and play cash flow and, you know, just talk cash flow and selling stocks and buying stocks and i graduated high school in 2001 so to be talking about this stuff a year after high school it's 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 that's pretty cool right that's a really really good thing um so they so they had introduced me to that and from there the 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 light just turned on you know i i understood cash flow and how i could acquire cash flow Mm-hmm. So at 22 years old, I got into the game in 2005. Um, got in the game back during 100% financing days. Oh. Mm-hmm. I ended up buying a uh, off-market triplex on 89th and A Street. Ooh, that's rough. I mean, they 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 called it the shady 80s for a reason. I mean, yeah. the 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 D boys were at the corner selling whatever. For real. Um, but I got my game. I mean, I you know I got my foot in the door. And shout out to James West, who was the owner, who was an investor uh, in East Oakland at the time, who gave me my first shot. Love it. Um, he actually sold his property to me, and he bought four units in Mississippi also. Wow. 
It's amazing. <laughs> well, anyways, I am so glad that you guys have hung out with us talking property management and property investment and just like plain old being good people and trying to keep it real as we do. So make sure to, you know, down download the podcast if you really like it. You can listen to it anywhere, even on an airplane. Uh, let, like it, follow us. Um, you can see the links below to find me. And also, um, there'll be social media links below for Jason. And uh, with that, we will say goodbye, and I will see you next time. Thank you guys for listening. Peace. Thank you. If you don't, baby, 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 baby.